City. It's your man, Big Pat, the voice of your Charlotte Hornets. And you're listening to the All Hornets Podcast Network, presented by Sports Illustrated. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One. Hello and welcome to the Hornets and Heartbreak Podcast. My name is Mark Bernacki and I'm here with my co-host Tim Rogers. What's up, Tim? What it do, Liquor Mark? I'm doing pretty well, man. So I just got back uh, on Sunday night from the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. Tim, I'm now the smartest person on this podcast. Uh, <laughs> I just like to go ahead and state that. We are going to do uh, just like... 30 minutes or however long it takes on on that conference but we wanted to open a little bit with with some hornets talk uh so tim take it away all right well um we were recording our last podcast as lamello uh broke his ankle yeah so that was um that was disappointing news to come back to as soon as uh we hit end uh so obviously that's disappointing and um it has not really been an inspiring show since then um show from the hornets that is uh you know first game after that was the thrashing by phoenix and mm-hmm. obviously our team was going to come out you know whenever you lose you know your most important player the team kind of comes out flat the next game but um that's certainly been the case and we've continued that trend and to all of the national media and even hornet fans that are like questioning if Lamelo's a winning player why don't you watch our team now i dare you to watch a full game if you're not a hornets fan i dare you to watch a full game yeah. Yeah. And on, on that same note, uh, one of my like biggest gripes with like Hornets fans uh, in what, what they say is like, man, LaMelo just takes like heat checks. He takes these bad shots throughout the game. Uh, check the numbers. They're, they're, they're not bad shots. I'm coming back from Sloan, dude. I'm a lot more nerdy. LaMelo pulling up from like 28 feet. Not that bad of a shot. Uh, if it's, if it's open. So um yeah, he, I can see how, like, the style of play from Lamelo sometimes, it looks like he's just jacking up shots. Uh, but he is the most effective offensive player on our team. Um, Yeah, I would, um, even, even without advanced analytics, I'm going to take your word for that. Um, <laughs> yeah. There was one interesting, uh, I don't know if you saw the Baxter Holmes piece on mm. ESPN. No, I missed that. Um, it is pretty much about how AAU, like, you know, load management is viewed as an NBA thing, but it really comes down to these guys play basketball year round and AAU, they're playing four games a day and pretty much their knees and ankles and hips are like an 18 year old that's been playing AAU since they were 10, 12. They have the knees of like a 30 year old man. Mm, that's very interesting. Yeah. So at the, at the conference, I was talking to this dude who uh, is basically like a professional gambler, and he ran a theory by me. He said, uh, like he wanted to run this theory by me. He said that he thought LeVar just ran his kids into the ground, that he overworked them um, because both Melo and Lonzo 
have had these uh, bad injuries over the past couple of years. I mean, Lonzo's definitely worse than Lamelo's, but but Lamelo's hurt hurt his ankles like five times at this point. I can't I can't count that high. So uh, yeah, I thought it was a reasonable proposition by him. I mean, hopefully it's not true, but uh, Lamelo has played a lot of basketball at a young age. Um, and yeah, what do you think about that, Tim? Um, yeah, but I, I was I was at the the preseason the Wizards game when he first injured his ankle and I think with an ankle injury it's you know it's pretty tough to bounce back so Mm. easy to aggravate but you know other than that he's had the wrist injury which I think is just more fluky in the Clippers game yeah so maybe I'm just talking myself into it it is really sad actually Lonzo um I've always had this thing I like I remember when that draft was coming up and just talking to my roommates and be like you know how weird it's gonna be in 20 years when you try to explain to your kids that there was a six-month period where Lonzo Ball was like the most famous basketball player in America, and he just might be a terrible NBA player. And he wasn't a terrible NBA player, but it's looking like his career is cooked. I feel really bad for him, and he's like running with a limp. Yeah. Yeah, no, and, and back to this, with the ankle injury specifically with Lamelo, uh, it's something that, that needs to be addressed um, in the offseason. And my advice to Lamelo would be, A, talk to Steph Curry. Right, because Steph Curry came in the league with very similar problems with his ankles. So whatever Steph Curry did, you know, look into look into that for Lamelo. There's also this guy knees over toes. I don't know if you ever heard of him, Tim. Uh, he's got he's got some interesting like workout methods, which which involve like pulling a sled backwards, uh, and it's stuff that I've I've done in the gym. So maybe you maybe you look into look into that guy who. Seems to know a little bit about something about injury prevention. Um, but yeah, talk to Steph Curry, watch some knees over toes videos, and also um maybe consider switching shoes. Puma needs to make uh, a shoe that is not gonna get Lamelo's ankle injured like once every two months. Yeah, we don't want a Grant Williams situation, but I do like the Steph Curry parallels mm-hmm. where when they entered the league, people were like, ah, I don't know if this guy's game will translate. You know, then kind of lit it on fire the second half of the season, became a winning player season two, and then an injury-riddled third season. So that means that the Hornets are about to rip off four championships in the next eight years. Looking yes. forward to it. Yeah, dude. And we're going to get the uh, the parallel to Kevin Durant. I don't know. We're going to get, like, Devin Booker or something? <laughs> that's I, that's who I was, I was trying to think in my head. I was like, oh, so we'd have to be, you know, like, Two years, like the draft two years prior. Ah, I'll get back to you on that one. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's let's move on uh, from LaMelo. Sa- actually, one more thing on that. Sad sad that he's injured, obviously. But as I mentioned on the last podcast, like the Hornets should be losing games. I'm not sure if we're going to be able to lose enough to catch up to the Pistons, uh, Spurs, or the Rockets. But it's possible. I mean, there's still like a decent chunk of the season left if we go – you know, Owen, what is it, 16 uh, throughout the rest of the season, eh, you know, we could we could maybe catch up to one of those teams and get the third third best lottery odds, at least. Do you think it's more likely we go four and 12 or Owen 16? Probably four and 12, probably four. And yeah, 12. yeah. It, it is hard to lose 16 straight games. Yeah, Um. but but I mean, yeah, even like two and 14, if if that were to happen, like in the Pistons reel off like a random five game win streak. The Rockets are not winning any games, but I mean, yeah, I'm saying it. I It doesn't even make sense. We're not going to catch up to any of those teams, but uh, I don't know, dude. It might be Killian Hayes time to shine. 
Okay, uh, Mark Williams, dude, uh, bet, has been playing very well as of, as of late. Uh, I'll let I'll let you take this since since you want to talk about it. Yeah, everyone knows that uh, that's now my my new favorite mark. No offense, Ooh, but um, <laughs> nah, just just kidding. But since um since he's got the starting spot, uh, twelve points a game, ten rebounds, one and a half blocks in twenty six and a half minutes per night, shooting sixty two percent from the field and seventy four percent from the free throw line. That um that smells to me like somebody's going to be getting up some threes in a couple years. Hmm. You're saying that he's projecting to be a good three-point shooter, Tim. Hey, man, he uh he had a couple elbow jump shots, and they looked a lot better than Mason Plumlee's. He uh he also has a defensive rebounding percentage of 26, percent which is very promising, and uh yeah, four four percent block rate and only uh 16 percent usage. So I mean, once Lamelo comes back, I feel like he's the real loser. I do feel bad for him after getting you know he's like, man, I'm finally gonna get to play me and Lamelo. Like we're gonna develop this chemistry, and he's like, and it's gone. Yeah. Yeah, um, Mark Williams, you know, over the past 10 games, the Hornets have had, what, the best defensive rating in the NBA? Is that is that right? Number that one? That is correct. At, uh, 110 points per possession, beating out the Los Angeles Lakers by a tenth of a point. Yeah, so uh, I, I would like to say Mark Williams has contributed to that. Also contributing to that is, as you mentioned, or as you told me earlier, 30% three-point shooting from our opponents. So not good three-point shooting, like kind of random, potentially due to better defense, but probably just random uh, bad shooting from from our opponents. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll just sell it. I'll say Mark Williams is the sole reason for that. I do. Um, if if I told you that Mark Williams was going to be 95% as good as, uh, as prime Rudy Gobert, would you be happy with that? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. I just, I know you as a Gobert hater, so... I no, wasn't, let's, wasn't let's, sure. let's like talk about Mark Williams versus Jalen Duran because at this point, I think you have to give it to Mark Williams, right? And Jalen Duran's not been bad. No, Jalen Duran has not been bad. Um, he's he's had some flashes, and he he also came on strong early too, which was painful when mm-hmm. Williams couldn't get off the bench, and it's like, ah, oh, man, Duran had twenty two and fifteen, so that was a little painful. But um, yeah, I mean, going back to you know pre draft talking about it, like I think that. Sure, if Duran hit, you know, his 99th percentile outcome, he would be better. But I just feel as though Mark Williams is just better at being a big man and doing the necessary things. I think he's a better finisher, better rim protector, and he has shown flashes of guarding on the perimeter. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your uh, projection for Mark Williams? What, I guess you already said Rudy Gobert, but uh, what player do you think he'll be, you know, most similar to over the next like five years? We're lucky Hassan Whiteside. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I don't really know. I, I I view him as someone, you know, he could get up to like 18 points, 12 and a half rebounds a game, about three blocks, um, yeah. 60 plus percent shooting. Maybe yeah, never I- a full-time, full-time, you know, like we're not going to run the offense through him, but I can imagine him as soon as next season spotting up in the corner for threes from time to time. Yeah, and I think what's most exciting about him is the defense, right? It's not – I mean, I, I hear what you're saying on the shooting. I'm not totally there yet, uh, to be honest. But, like, I could I could see it happening. But that's not even, like, really the exciting part of his game. I think if he just continues to develop the skills that he, like, already has, he'll still be a very effective NBA player. 
Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. Yeah, the defense and the rebounding are the most enticing things. I guess I'm I'm just I get blinded by the hands sometimes. Just I just love a big man that has good hands. And uh it seems like he just has like catcher's bits. But um yeah, no, I think his defense come along. He's getting into foul trouble where, you know, there's certain times he is kind of getting beat to a spot and then just relies on the length a little bit. But he's already showed really good patience, which I, uh, you know wasn't saying that he was going to be jumping all over the place like Hassan Whitesides. But, um, yeah, I mean, he just he can just keep his feet on the ground. And just all he has to do is put his arms up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, you ready to jump into Sloan? Let's do it. Cool. The action never ends at DraftKings Sportsbook, especially this summer. With tons of ways to bet on all your favorite sports, you can fuel your fandom and feel the heat of the season like never before. Plus, right now, DraftKings Sportsbook is giving new customers a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's right. Make your first bet up to $1,000, and if it doesn't win, you'll get another shot to cash in. You can throw down on all the major action for baseball, golf, MMA, and more. Plus, with same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, over-unders, and props, your betting options feel endless. I've recently come back from the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference and spoken to all of the wisest people in sports betting, and they have confirmed what I previously thought to be true – Bet against the Hornets in all remaining games, okay? That is what the people at Sloan Sports Analytics Conference said. I'm just relaying that information to you. Bet against the Hornets in all remaining games. Best of all, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make your first deposit and get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. That's promo code TBPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Please see show notes for details. All right. So uh, for those of you who don't know, Sloan Sports Analytics Conference, uh, it is just like a meeting for nerds uh, with involved in sports. Um, And it's all about all about sports analytics, all about data uh, and the future of sports analytics uh, and what people are doing presently in sports analytics. Basketball, I would say, is kind of like the main sport featured at the conference uh daryl morey is like the person you see everywhere you go at this conference he's in like every panel and he's in every single meeting um i would say like yeah basketball is probably number number one most represented sport there uh so it was very cool very cool to see like what all these other sports are doing but specifically with basketball i came away with like a number of just like interesting things that i'm gonna apply to the podcast and, and outside of it. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's get started. What's the most interesting thing. Okay. So yeah. Uh, my favorite talk that I went to all weekend, Tim was probably the one by Corey Jez, who is the first full-time analytics broadcaster in the NBA in NBA history. And so basically just picture the Hornets broadcast um, with, you know, Dell, Eric Collins and Ashley Shamity. But then you have like somebody coming in randomly with just like advanced stats. Uh, that's what the Trailblazers do currently. And that's done by Corey Jez, who started out working for uh, the Utah Jazz as the head of analytics. He did that for like four or five years. And now he does this. Uh, so he's on the on the broadcast team. And he'll just pop in every once in a while and be like, you know, what's some advanced stat? Uh, effective field goal percentage from this spot, right, for this player is this percentage. So that was actually a good shot, not a bad shot. And then they'll go back to the normal broadcast. Um, and his talk was just like really cool. 
because basically that's like my dream job, I would say, incorporating <laughs> math into into sports and like conveying it to the public. And my biggest takeaway from that thing was like, oh, this is something that's going to exist on every NBA team within the next like 10, 15 years. Like every NBA team will have somebody doing this because fans want to know, like fans already track stats, right? Like you are always look at box scores and other things uh, to like look at the stats and this guy's like starting it. So, I mean, it's a little early to call it a revolution, but I would say that every, every NBA team will have this, or at least most of them within the next like decade. Yeah. I like that. Um, you know, people kind of bash on the Blazers now that, uh, you know, since Paul Allen's passed, uh, sisters taking over the team, they're like, Oh, you know, she's just so cheap, man. She won't show on anything. And their broadcast has more people in their analytics staff than the Hornets do for their entire roster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. It's just like really cool. Um, also, okay. What's one, up? one other one other thing, um, thinking about, you know, like 10, 15 years, you know, like now you'll hang out, you know, you'll watch a game with like an uncle or like an older guy or older person. They're like, God, man, these threes are ruining the game. Can you imagine like when we're at that like drunk uncle stage? And we're just like, God, man, that guy's got a killer true shooting percentage. And our nephews are just like, oh, my God, dude, he's such an idiot. He's like, still using true shooting. shooting. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to have some, like, advanced shit that we don't even understand right now. <laughs> All right, more, more on that, right? So Second Spectrum uses cameras to track players' movement. So the way Second Spectrum data works is they take pictures of players 20 times per second. Okay, they, the cameras just are tracking everybody and they track them as dots uh, on the court. And they use this picture 20 times per second to determine like the quality of shots. Like if this dot is close to this other dot, if this player is close to this other player, then that shot was contested. Next year, the NBA is going to be using technology called Hawkeye to track 19 points on the body. So like you got your hand, you got your elbow tracked by this camera right now the players just represented as like a dot like they can't differentiate the different points on the body but next year they're gonna be able to do that so basically the big difference is that like right now it might say a contested shot even if the player's hand isn't up but next year they'll know like exactly how contested the shot is by like inches right because of this like camera that's going to be tracking all these points on the body um, so they're going to have even better data to see just how contested a shot is. Is it a good shot or is it a bad shot? Oh, that's that's interesting. That'll be um, I wonder how that'll be used in like contract negotiations where like, OK, yeah, like my, no, but seriously, like, you know, yeah. he only averaged, you know, 0.8 blocks per game, but he had the closest contests, you know, on 253s. Mm. It's like, you know. Yeah, no, Shane, Shane Battier who was at this conference is like famous for, he didn't get a lot of blocks, but what did he always do to him? He always had he always, his hand in their face. Yeah. Shane Battier, most famous for the Michael Lewis article and just getting torched by Kobe every year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, nah, Shane, Shane Battier is like the advanced analytics, like version of uh Moneyball and baseball, right? Like he's the basketball version of Moneyball, I would say in baseball, because Traditionally, he doesn't look like good, like a fantastic NBA player, but he got the results through his understanding of data and just like using that in basketball. 
that was actually the first time I ever heard about Michael Lewis and I was I was hanging out with my uncle and his buddy who's very well read and he was just like did you know that uh Shane Battier is actually the most underrated player in the NBA and kind of passed it along as like his own point and then I heard about that article like two years later and I was like oh that's why that guy likes Shane Battier so much yeah you read that article all right let me tell you Shane Battier's story which you've probably heard before uh he told the story at the conference he was like, uh, when he was playing with the Heat, he pulled LeBron aside and said that Kevin Durant uh, had like a very big difference in his shooting percentage from going over his right shoulder and going over his left shoulder. I don't remember which one it was, but he was like, so force him left, right? It's like 20% difference when he goes left or when he goes right, uh, like in the post. And in that game, LeBron guarded KD twice in that same situation and he forced him left and then he missed both shots in that game. And then after the game, LeBron pulled him aside and was like, all right, Batman, what else you got for me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was that was a cool story. Uh, yeah. Shane Batty, kind of low key uh, a part of the data analytics uh, revolution. He was like, you know, recruited by Daryl Morey to uh, understand like all this, all these statistics. And he was like one of the first NBA players to actually like use them. And now he he works for our hated Miami Heat, right? He's in their analytics department. I'm not sure if he is still, uh, but he was. Yeah. Okay. Well, if he's not on the Heat now, then I, I like him even more. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Okay. More NBA stuff. Uh, free throw rate more important than free throw percentage. Everybody harps on free throw percentage, right? But if you get to the line and like you know, 10 times a game and you're shooting 65%, guess what? That's still good, right? <laughs> yeah, what's that, like 1.3 points per possession? Exa- exactly, yeah, good good math. Good math on the fly there, team. Tim. Um, NBA teams, look for players that have a skill that they don't use currently that could be used on their team. Try to think of an example of that. So, like, a player that plays extremely good perimeter defense, but is forced to be like an offensive player Uh, in their current situation. They might be picked up by a team like, I don't know, the Warriors, right? Who don't have that great a perimeter defense. Um, And they're looking for a player to add that. Oh yeah. The, the Jerry and Grant yo-yo where Mm. he just goes from underutilized, overutilized, and now I guess properly utilized on the Blazers. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. I thought that was thought that was interesting. Um, and then uh, another another thing, NBA and analytics departments used to have advantages in the quantity quantity of data. So like ten years ago, it was like who has the data, but now there's almost too much data, and it's about who uses the data the best. So it's about the actual people applying that data, not not so much about like who has it because everybody has it. Oh, yeah, that's that that would make sense. Yeah, it's more important to be able to like properly sift through what you need. The free throw rate is interesting. I mean, because like we always harp on LaMelo yeah. for not getting the line enough. And that's like pretty much the number one thing you can do other than like, you know, obviously bump up your three point percentage. But it's like, yeah, if, if LaMelo's got to line seven times a game, he'd be closer to league average for shooting. Yeah. Yeah, I would say like in basketball analytics, there's like three things to do to improve your game. It's shoot threes better, get to the line more, 
or improve your finishing either by dunk or by layup. And I'm just stealing that from somebody in the conference who said that I don't remember who, but (laughs) that's, those are like the three ways uh, analytically to like really improve your game. And, but like the free throw one, we kind of hate it as fans. Right. But it's just true. James Harden, Trey Young, et cetera. Right. Players that get to the line a lot. They're just super efficient. Well, I mean, Trey Young gets the line like in an honest way. So, I mean, I, I, you know, I appreciate that he respects the game. And I mean, guys just can't guard him. So that's valid. No, but that is true. That was the beauty of the, uh, the Phoenix game. Uh, even though we were getting walloped, there were like, I think four free throws in the first half. So yeah. like very low. Just does, does help the flow of the game, even though let's finish it. Where do you stand on the, uh, the G League? They tried out just one free throw. Yeah. I don't know how I like that. Why not? I don't know. I, I I like the traditional two free throws. That's another thing. So the NBA is experimenting on a lot of things in the G League, right? They're experimenting on that. And then they're also experimenting with the Elam ending. And I actually got to uh, go to a talk, Tim, from Nick Elam, the founder of the Elam ending, where he basically pitched the Elam ending to everybody. Uh, for those who are not familiar, the Elam ending is where you have like a set score to get to determined by the score going into the fourth quarter and the clock is turned off. What what do you think about the, the Elam ending, Tim? And then I'll kind of give my thoughts. Um, The first year I was like, man, this is like the coolest thing ever. And now I'm just like, maybe it's because I've partaken in some beverages by the fourth quarter. I'm always like a little confused. I feel like in an actual game, it would feel too gimmicky. And uh, also I'll admit, I just kind of assume that Elam must have been like an acronym for something. But I really like that guy. I was like, dude, this is a great idea. I'm stamping my name on this. It's like yeah. the Bernanke endings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he nicknamed it after himself. Uh, I think I said this to somebody uh, at the conference. I was like, if the NBA were invented today, right, I think the Elam ending is probably better. Because it what it does is it just removes like – the need for excessive fouling in, at the end of the game and like fixes basically the pace of play at the end of game. But I don't think enough like fans are going to like it to tr- change the tradition. It's the same thing with like the schedule, right? The schedule's too long, but it's just the tradition of it. And like the NBA is profiting so much. Uh, Daryl Morey during the conference said the NBA is at a local optimum. We're at a local max. Uh, for profit in the NBA. So nobody wants to change it unless something like terrible happens. They're not going to change the schedule because they're profiting too much right now with the current schedule. Like there's no reason to change it. Same thing with the Elam ending. I think it won't actually happen in the NBA, but I think like if the NBA were created right now, it's probably just better. Yeah. I do have some takes on, I think that a 58 game season could still be profitable. Mm -hmm. Um, I do believe if you knew that every Monday, Thursday, the Hornets were on, I think there's a much better chance that we're actually back now. Like, if I knew that everyone was going to play, because like now, like when I go to games, I just buy tickets day of mm-hmm. to make sure that like I don't want to go watch the Blazers without Dame. But yeah. it's like if I knew that Dame was going to play, I would buy, you know, a 10 game pack or a five game pack at the beginning of the season. And I would pay more for it to know that the games would actually be a little more competitive. And if you were able to market it to, you know, ESPN, Amazon, Apple, whoever would pay for it, if, like, Tuesday became, like, the marquee night for the NBA, 
I think the viewership would go way up. I saw that, uh, you know, Steph Curry came back yesterday. They had the highest rated non-Christmas game in three years. Like, I think there is an appetite for basketball. But, you know, when you turn on a game and it's the Pelicans versus the Grizzlies and three of the top five players are missing, it's like, what's the point? Yeah. Okay. So uh, taking this back to Sloan, Bill James, uh, you know, you know, who that is, he was the Bill, dude. He's yeah. the goat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he like is referenced a lot in Moneyball as being this like hated analytics guy. Uh, and then he ended up working for the Red Sox for like many years um, af- after the after Moneyball was released. Right. He's like the he's... founder of of analytics in baseball. Yeah, he he is who Daryl Morey or he is who people think Daryl Morey is. Dude, Daryl Morey bought his abstract. So Bill James, early like in the seventies and eighties, was just like releasing these independent papers, and Daryl Morey's like bought his abstract at the age of twelve. Yeah, yeah, no, that's. Yeah, I think I I guess I first heard about him through Bill Simmons, but yeah, I mean he was. I mean to say he was fifteen years ahead of his time honestly doesn't even do it justice. I mean, yeah, people talk about Billy Bean, but. Yeah, I mean, Bill James is writing about that stuff, and his writing holds up to this day. You can find some of those abstracts online, and I'm not even a baseball fan, but they're riveting. Yeah, no, nah, it's he was like super riveting in person too. So he was at the at the conference and in like various panels. One of the rooms was named after him. You had the Bill James room, you had the Shane Battier room, uh, you had like the Sue Bird room, um, and Bill James uh, said that the problem with like some of these sports is they here are the stupidest things that they've done. All right. And so like for baseball, it was like not fixing the pace of play. Uh, For basketball, it was the length of the schedule. And for the NFL, it's like the injuries. Right. And he just literally said these are, it's like stupidity with these leagues, but it's working enough to the point that they're not going to fix it with baseball. There's been a crisis, so they're going to fix it but it takes a crisis for the league to actually fix it. Um, and like the NFL won't like move to flag football unless a hundred people get, you know, these massive concussions in a season, the NBA won't switch to a shorter schedule unless a crisis happens. People stop watching games. And I think that the NBA is on, you know, the precipice of a crisis. Mm. I mean, you look at the ratings year to year. I mean, like in the last 10 years, ratings are down and this this is with cord cutting like i admit like most of let's say 90 percent of the people that i know that watch the nba they do it through nba streams yeah like they are like people are still watching yeah viewership is a massive issue fans are mad at the players unjustly um but yeah i think that you know if this next tv deal like maybe the tv deal after this could be the crisis moment yeah. Uh, side note, sorry for rambling. Have you seen the uh, MLB like pitch clock? No, I don't watch any baseball. I I don't either. I just saw a clip on Twitter, but they have twenty seconds per pitch, mm. or fifteen seconds per pitch. Um, I there was an entire at bat that took place in twenty two seconds. Yeah, that's it was that's it was great. riveting. Yeah, no, and and Bill said. Like, you know, that's that's moving in the right direction, but it's not not quite enough. And uh, I mean, another just side story. Daryl, like, went on a tangent about, like, if baseball were invented today, it would be the stupidest game. Like, nobody would watch it because it's so slow. Uh, and then Bill, like, pushed back. He was like, baseball's a great game. 
Yeah, I mean, Bill has Bill has some skin in the game. No, it's absolutely it's really just a testament to how boring things were in right. like the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, also, if the NBA was invented today, my hot take: twos should be threes and threes should be fours. That's how mm. you do it, dude. You, we got to get you in Sloan, man. We we need to get you <laughs> get you doing a talk next year. Explain yourself. Oh, I just think it would close the gap. It would yeah. close the gap in efficiency. It would just, it would make, you know, the post-up, which also the post-up has always kind of been a stupid thing if you think about it, where mm. it's like, oh, you know how I'm going to score? I'm going to just turn away from the basket. I'm just yeah. going to heave something up. It's like, that would be the most efficient way. But, yeah, that's sorry. Super, All right. That's super interesting. I actually, I mean, I don't know who I've heard. Has anybody said that before? I mean, people have probably, but. I think I've, I've pitched it to you before. I've been on this for a couple years. I'm sure, I, I'm sure I stole it from someone. All right, so uh, more more basketball stuff. Sue Bird gave a talk, and they were talking about just, like, performing in the clutch, right? And they asked, like, Sue, like, you know, what's your, like, most clutch moment? And she talked about how she, like, hit two free throws in this, like, AAU game. And from there on out, people were like, ah, Sue's clutch. Uh, and then they were like, have you ever choked? And Sue was just like, no, I don't think I have. <laughs> <laughs> and then like they like kept on trying to get an answer out of her but like all right what was one time where you you know didn't quite meet expectations she was like ah, i can't think of anything maybe in my personal life but not on the basketball court <laughs> big, big takeaway from that sue bird has massive michael jordan energy dude she just like is a supremely confident in herself uh and yeah i wish we had a little bit more of that on the on the hornets team man that is that is awesome yeah sue bird's cool and also the WNBA really rocks good thing to do if you're just sitting at a bar in summer yeah not yeah the WNBA is on the on the up and up i follow like a lot of the current college basketball players uh women players um so i'm I'm gonna be like interested to see their rise caitlin clark the steph curry of women's basketball um but uh, yeah, no, another thing to talk about was uh, Sacramento Kings beyond lighting the beam. I attended a talk from uh, somebody in their marketing department and, uh, you know, they have the famous beam that they light at the end of every win uh, and combined with the team doing better. They've had like just like a ton of support this year. And it was interesting to hear like what actually goes into that they do like an a ton of research um i mean which isn't surprising but they definitely are doing more than than most team they're like tracking post-game sentiment about the about the game see how people felt about uh the sacramento kings win or loss using the words uh used in tweets and on social media so they like gather data on tweets and track like how pleased people were with their experience at the game um and like they have like an incredibly high satisfaction rate. Uh, they also like have this app that you can use to like redeem points and, and shit. Uh, so Sacramento Kings, dude, on on the up and up, especially with this with this good marketing scheme. In a non sarcastic way, um, I think that's a important thing of like when you have certain hindrances or weaknesses, trying to maximize around them and being bad for 10, 15 years. Like if they if they were just consistently forty three wins, I doubt they would have put that much time into making sure that their fans were satisfied. 
Mm, it takes a crisis to change things. It takes a crisis. Yeah, yeah. No, the King Kings on the up and up. Everybody, uh, if you don't like the Hornets this year, go go watch a little bit of the Kings. They're they're a good <laughs> watch. Um, shout out Malik Monk. Okay, uh, so the highlight, dude, of this of this whole thing for me, there were two highlights. Um, but the main the main highlight was uh this guy Corey Jez, who's the Trailblazers uh broadcaster, invited people to uh this party where he was doing the broadcast of the trailblazers hawks game from a bar from a party right and he was he was just like occasionally going into the broadcast and uh giving his commentary and everybody else was just like mingling and stuff um it was a trailblazers hawks watch party john hollinger was also there like providing commentate uh commentary with Corey. Uh, and the first person I talked to when I walked in was, uh, Seth Partnow of the athletic. So just like lots of basketball people in this room. Uh, and it was just really, really cool. Every single conversation I had was like really, really interesting. I talked to a professional gambler. I talked to somebody who works for like basketballfacts.com. I talked to people who work for betting companies. And I got to talk to people on the actual analytics staffs of NBA teams. Yeah, you know um, how humans' weakness is kind of like you know is if you think you're self aware, you can you can try your hardest, but you're never like really self aware. Mm. When you told me you met Seth, Seth Part now, I was just like, "Whoa, dude, that is so cool!" Like, you know, it would have <laughs> been if, if you were like, "Man, like you know, I met." jimmy page and then like really looked at myself and i was like man i am a fucking nerd i was like god <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was like like it is very nerdy that i was excited to be uh be in the room with these people but it was it was super cool uh i would say highlight is unknown uh unnamed wizards uh employee staff member uh telling me yeah we kind of messed up with johnny davis <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but we had him eye on our models uh, so yeah, Johnny Davis, who Tim and I did not have high on our models. Uh, the the Wizards apparently had <laughs> high on their models. Um, yeah, that was my favorite part. And then also um, at halftime, they did this like trivia question, and like first person to get it right uh, won the prize. The question was, who is third in the NBA in field goal percentage from beyond thirty feet? Number one was Dame, and number two was Trey Cur- uh, Trey Young. Trey Curry. Uh, Trey Curry. Uh, <laughs> not, so somebody goes up and is like, Steph Curry. Somebody says something else. And then side note, I had a bet with uh, a, a person there that I was going to have it right, and he was going to have it right. Uh, we bet a beer, and he, he was picking LeBron James, and I was picking who else other than LaMelo Ball. Uh, and not only did I win the beer, Tim – I won the prize. I won a Trailblazers 50th anniversary record of uh, all their greatest hits over there in Portland, uh, which I will be proudly hanging up on my wall. Uh, I was told, wow, this guy really knows his stuff by John Hollinger. That that also was pretty cool. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, hi- highlight of the night for me, Tim. Man, as it should be. That was a that was a great call by you. Shout out to Lamelo Ball and uh, shout out to the Blazers. You got to um, do a formal post on Instagram for that because it's a it's a really beautiful gift. Yeah. Okay. I also should say I was so uniquely qualified to answer that question correctly 
like nobody else in the room had watched a single Hornets game unless their team was playing them. And I've watched every single one. I was like, oh, it's definitely LaMelo. This is a trick question. They're thinking that <laughs> nobody will think LaMelo, but I know it's LaMelo and I knew correctly, Tim. What's up? <laughs> What's up? I like to think if you were a Pacers fan, you'd be like, Naismith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pro- probably. But uh, no, I mean, we had covered that on some episode that LaMelo was shooting like very well from deep, like deep, deep. Yeah. Boys got it. Uh, any other any other tales from from Sloan? I got like 17 more. We're, just stop me when you're ready. Uh, Daryl Morey, dude. Uh, he is quite the quite the character. Uh, he was, like I said, like in like every single panel. Um, and I heard from somebody that uh, apparently Daryl Morey had a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Mural. Mural of James Harden in his house in Philadelphia, which is alarming already. But the second piece of information is that he had the mural prior to trading for James Harden. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I like to think that, you know, I walk into my boss's house and there's just a mural of me there. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Well, that's totally not weird at all. Just have that. But I actually do, I, I respect their bromance. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's funny. I mean, James Harden say what you want about him, but he gets to the line free throw rate, baby. That's the, <laughs> that's the advanced analytics uh, takeaway from the, from this weekend. Get, get to the line. Uh, also just got to give a shout out to soccer real quick. Uh, soccer's on the up and up. I think they're going to overtake hockey if they haven't already for like in the big four of American sports, the Olympics in 2028 are going to be in uh, the U.S. Or sorry, not the Olympics, the, the World Cup. Um, and soccer Tim is using cameras to do that same second spectrum data. I was talking about the NBA track the players, but they're not just doing it in the MLS. They're doing it in the MLS like youth leagues. They're Ooh. doing it for like 10,000 games a year in all the youth leagues. I think it's called MLS next or MLS elite. They're using cameras to track their stats and using AI to scout them and determine who's going to be a stud without having to scout them physically. I do think that is interesting. I wonder when or when, or if um, like player unions are just like, no, like, I don't know about that. Like I, even though I do agree that it would be effective, like if I was the head of the players union, I'd be like, fuck, no, we're not doing that. What do you mean? Why? Um, I think that, I mean, I'm sure there's equal amounts upside and downsides to it. Um, and I'm sure you like hidden gems will be here and there. Um, I don't know. Something about it is a little skeevy to me. It's irrational. Yeah. But, no, um, I see what you're I see where what you're saying. Like, um, well, first of all, it's it's putting people out of jobs, right? Like scouts, which is a potential downside. Um, and then the other downside is like maybe it just sucks. <laughs> like maybe it's not very good at it. Um <laughs> but it, it definitely will like that was that was like a bold proclamation. Like maybe it's gonna be there at some point, like 50 years from now, that that will definitely be like only used but i mean they sounded like they're gonna do it pretty soon i'm all in on soccer buy soccer stock right now if you, if are you we um 
Are we going to go to a Charlotte FC game? I see. I've been like resisting doing that, and now I'm going to. I think after this weekend, home uh, openers on the 18th. Let's let's send it. Uh, the Hornets not very fun to go to, so let's let's go to that game. <laughs> All right. Last thing. Uh, I got to go to like poker and chess talks too. Daryl mm. Morey was somehow there also on the panels. Uh, and uh, got to take a picture, Tim, with the famous Hikaru Nakamura, one of the best chess players in the world and, like, probably the second most famous chess player in the world. It's funny. I had to go to Boston Sports Analytics Conference to get, like, the closest I've ever been to one of the elite chess players. <laughs> yeah. I like him. Did you uh, did you let him know that you're a year away from taking him down? Yeah, I posted on Instagram uh, <clears throat> at Mark underscore Bernanke. Uh, Good luck and- spelling that. Yeah. B-I-E-R-N-A-C-K-I. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I posted a picture with the caption, one of the most famous chess players in the world and some random guys. Let, let people decide who, who the random guy is and who the most popular player is. Um, but yeah, man, that was that was Sloan. Uh, unreal experience. I'm coming back. I'm going to start using second spectrum data. I'm going to start using all this shit. It's about to get a whole bunch of nerdier on here, Tim. <laughs> i like it man i'm I'm happy for you it sounded like you had a blast and uh i think i'm i'll tag along next year yeah yeah let's do it let's do it i needed i needed somebody to uh to talk to at times because i was like i don't know any of these people lots of harvard lots of mit uh lots of people in their own circles and i was just a, a solo man on a mission um but yeah good times man shout out to our boy spencer with for getting an mit Wait, really? <laughs> no, this was just like a weird joke that because he was like very bashful and everything. And we just started telling everybody in our high school <laughs> during that time, like, man, you know, our, our boy Spencer got a perfect SAT, man. You know, he got a full ride to MIT. Oh, man. Yeah, you know, I mean, dude, they flew him out. It was crazy. And he was, if, if anyone knows Spencer that's listening to this, he was like, will you fucking stop telling people that? <laughs> <laughs> that is that is hilarious uh, <laughs> just lying to people because <laughs> then they would come up to him and be like oh my god spencer congratulations and oh my like, god not true. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh on that note i would like to thank all the supporters of the uh podcast shout out to the winnowers shout out to the patrons uh and uh yeah thank you please rate review subscribe I stole your line, Tim. I'm <laughs> hey, it's okay. Less yeah. less work for me. Um, do you have anything for Media Corner? Uh, Media Corner. Everybody go watch Moneyball. It's on the same theme. Mm. One of my favorite movies of all time. You'll hear a little bit, a little bit about Bill James. I should also mention Michael Lewis was there. Uh, he talked as well. The author of Moneyball. Uh, yeah, everyone go watch it. It's it's uh, basically what started Sloan, I would say yeah moneyball it's a real film jack um and for anyone that's looking for any music to listen to de la souls discography is finally available on streaming minus a couple of samples and if you're looking for a starting point i would start with the 1996 classic stakes is high all right tim it's been real all right it's been real be safe out there look at mark peace peace